Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. We're in a new series, um, started two or three weeks ago, called um, Finally Free. And um, I, at one time I was calling it Forever Free. So if I've uh, fluctuated back and forth, uh, both is true. If you are finally three, then free, then you are forever free. And the first week we studied what Jesus said in John chapter 8, which is, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And uh, of course, that's the truth about God and the truth about salvation and all of those things. But it's also um, some very particular kinds of truth that sets us free. And I want us to look tonight, if we could, at Luke 18. If you have a Bible or a phone with the scripture on it, you could help me and us in what we're trying to do if you looked at uh, these scriptures. Now, this is really one of my favorite, favorite passages. And um, I'm going to read the little story that Jesus told you. Now, when Jesus told a parable, he was telling the story for a very particular reason. Whether it actually happened or whether it's a story that could have happened, what we know happened was Jesus told the story to help us. So a parable, as often referred to as a, um, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, I'm not so sure about that. This is really, really something. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're just going to kind of uh, walk through it. So if you're ready to jump in, say jump. He also, he is Jesus, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay? So I got some good thoughts for you on that subject, but uh, first I have to start off uh, with a joke. Um, this is, how many people here, I'm curious to know this, how many people know five jokes? I'm not gonna make you come up and tell me, you had to tell five jokes, hands up if you could tell five jokes. How many people know 25 jokes? I, could, I think, I was just thinking today, I think I probably could tell 50 jokes, but it's interesting, this is the oldest joke I know. I've known this like for more than 30 years. If I have known a joke longer, I don't know what it is, so I guess I don't know it. So there was this big dog food convention and um, there was the national sales director was up in front of hundreds of salespeople for the Kennel Ration Dog Food Company and he wanted to rally the troops and get everyone fired up for another year of incredible sales in this dog food company. And so he lifted up his voice. You guys can pretend you're the sales crowd and I'll be the guy at the front. And what he said was, he said, remember, remember, just as a clue, the name of the company is Kennel Ration. 
and he said, who makes the best dog food in the country? General right, and he said, and who has the best marketing strategy in the dog food industry? And who has the best delivery systems in the industry? And finally he said, <coughs> and who has the best and most up-to-date manufacturing and packaging facilities? And then he says, then why aren't we selling more dog food than anyone else? <coughs> and a little a guy in the back of the room puts up his hand, I guess he was Southern, and he said, fact is, sir, the dogs don't like it. <laughs> and like a preacher would, I have uh, fashioned that funny story, I guess you'd call it, um, into a truth, which is this, that the reason why so many people are turned off on faith, turned off on God, turned off on Christ, turned off on Scripture, has nothing to do with God and Scripture and Christ and the Gospel. It has to do with the people who are practicing it. And just like Kenoration wasn't selling because the dogs didn't like it, the Gospel isn't having the impact that it was created to have because the people who are bearing the message And that's the story that Jesus told. He tells a story about two people who go up to a temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, and the guy that all the church people would think was rocking it was sucking pond water. And the guy that everyone think was the worst guy, why is he even here? Jesus said, no, no, that's the awesome guy. And I'm really happy to bring that message tonight to a room full of people that could be in any particular location as it relates to how you think God sees you. You might be very, very wrong about that. Uh, the testimony that we just heard from Bryce, I have to just say, was beautiful. And the beautiful humility and the confession that he's in process. And she might be giving you tough love, y'all. But she is here, and that's pretty awesome. We should give her a hand, I think. Thank you. And that's not an easy decision to make, and, and God bless her for her strength. And as he said, it's just making him stronger. But I want to draw a distinction tonight, and I want to say this. The people who are giving faith a bad name are not truly Christians, Dominic, who's not here tonight, but is typically here. He sits over here, you know, that muscular, super muscular guy. If you ever want to check out a hilarious um, Instagram page, it's his. And he put out an Instagram a couple of weeks ago where he said, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian. Don't call me a Christian. I don't want nothing to do with those people. He said, I'm a Christ follower. Amen. But I'm not a Christian. I don't want to be like they are. The comments these people leave on me, they tell me I'm not a Christian. I mean, good for him. He just went right at it. There might have been a couple of F-bombs dropped in there, which, I, which this ministry does not endorse. But I appreciated his candor, and I have felt his frustration. So I want to make it really clear that what we're... We haven't seen you for a while, but here you are, and I want to make it clear to you, thank you for your love for us. What we are prescribing here is not religion. 
And so I'm going to teach through this passage. The message is called Freedom from Religion. All right? And I want to make it really clear that what I'm commending to you, and I kind of have a sense where you are, and I have a sense where you are, and I know for sure where you are, and I know where you are. And, and But here's what I want to say. Wherever you are in the matter of faith, please, please, with us, take a step toward genuine relationship with God and a, a step away from religion. And so this message will draw the contrast by going through these uh, two people. So maybe to say it in a simple way, um, maybe to say it in the simplest way, uh, here it is. Um, I'm going to give you, um, I'm free from religion when? Okay? So I don't know, are you, are you like a religious guy or do you have real faith? Are you like a religious guy or do you have real faith? I'm going to give you five. I'm, I know I'm free from religion when, okay? It's coming right out of this passage of Scripture because I don't have the authority to make up this message, but this is God's Word. And here's the first one. I refuse to bind others with man-made rules. In the text, he told this parable uh, to... It's, it's kind of funny because sometimes when Jesus tells a story, you're like, I wonder why that's there. And you have to sort of figure it out. But in this one, he made it super clear. This story, this parable, is being told to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So this is an arrow aimed at the heart of anyone struggling with superiority. Particularly anyone struggling with religious superiority okay and so that we know who it's for come on turn to your neighbor and say we know who it's for, we know it's for. and here are the two people that are being contrasted it says um, this phrase who trusted in themselves that they were righteous that's the idea is that they were pure that they were clean that they were sinless of course the bible says that there's none righteous no not one Amen. not one not one the Bible says the one who thinks he stands should be careful lest he fall. There's no one who has it all together. I love, I'm not a big fan of Christian bumper stickers because I don't drive well enough to have one. But, but I do like the Christian bumper sticker that says Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. The real ones. Now, it's not an excuse to live like an idiot, but it's just a, I'm not claiming to be better than anyone. And... Um, who tried this treated each other with contempt one translation says despised despised others one says looked down on others it means literally to make nothing of or belittle someone else and the word others there's two little technical thing here i did go to quite a lot of school i got to use it once in a while the new testament is written in greek and we only have one word in english for others 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 but they have two different words one means um everyone else others and one means just a single other in this text they use the term that honestly could be translated the rest who treated others with contempt and believed that he was righteous but the others that he's treating with contempt really means all the rest so he put himself in a class all by himself the Pharisee was, um, in effect, 
um, congratulating God on his excellent choice of him as one of his servants. Now, um, somebody say, that's a problem. Um, I can't say it any simpler than this, and if you've never heard this before, or if you've been whacked by church, Christianity's a relationship. It's, it's not a religion. Not at all. It's a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, period. End of story. It's nothing else. It's nothing else. It's a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, by faith in Him, then you're a follower. And if you don't, you're not. But it doesn't matter what church you go to, and it doesn't matter, honestly, even if you go to church. Though I think that's not a bad thing to do, and we call this church because we're a motorcycle club and we get to do that. Right. So, um, but it's not about going to church. It's about having a relationship with God. And, and again, in Bryce's testimony, I appreciated the sincere way that he referenced that and how allowing God to influence his life to not be the boss. Either you're on the throne or someone else is on the throne of your life. It's one of those two. Either you're the boss calling the shots or God is the one calling the shots and you're the one taking the orders. And those are not two kinds of the same thing. Those are very, very different uh, things. So um, this is a guy who made up a bunch of rules. We'll see some of them in a minute. He, I refuse to bind others with man-made rules. If you have a set of rules that you think these are the things that everyone needs to do, these are the things that everyone needs to be about, these are the things that are the most important. If you're one of those people who's always judging everyone else by your little set of things that you've decided are the most important, that's one of the truest tests of religion that there is. Now, here's the second part. We used to call those rules, you know, that, did anybody grow up with that? You said that your parents were, your family was Bible thumpers, so you probably grew up with a lot of rules because Bible thumpers are famous for the rules, right? Like we used to say, um, you know, there was the filthy five. We don't do these things. We don't smoke. We don't chew. We don't go with girls that do, you know. <laughs> and and uh, there was, we also had the dirty dozen, you know, and we don't do this. We don't do this. We don't do, that's not Christianity. Thinking you're better than other people because of stuff you don't do. Now there may be some things we don't do. We don't think they're better because we don't do it. And um, so here's the second one. It's in the next two verses. The first was, I refuse to bind others with man-made rules. And the second one is, I reject externals as a spiritual yardstick. Externals. Just Can you think about what I mean? Externals? I don't measure other people spiritually because of how they look. Someone say amen. Amen. And, and we just don't, we don't measure people that way. But this guy sure did. Uh, it says here, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. The other is the word heteros. Have you heard the word heterosexual? Heterosexual is attracted to someone of a different um, gender. And um, here it's the same word, heteros. It means another of a different kind. And so he says, there's two people that went up to the temple to pray. The one was a Pharisee, and the other, a very different kind of person, was a tax collector. Now, um, just a little uh, side notes here. Uh, what do you know about Pharisees? They were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were the arrogant, um, affluent, um, addicted churchgoers. You know, every time the lights were on, they were there, the Pharisees 
prided themselves on how religious they were. And they had a big time sets of rules, hundreds and hundreds of rules. For example, the Bible says, don't work on the Sabbath, on the Lord's day, on the day of rest. Don't work on the day of rest. Don't work on the day of rest. But they had all these rules to govern that. I think I said a few weeks ago that one of their rules was if your house was burning down, you could not carry your clothes out of your house on the Sabbath. But what you could do is go into the house, get dressed, run out, take your clothes off again, run back in the house, put some more clothes on. That wasn't work. This is the kind of precision, you know, somebody say that's stupid. Stupid. Yeah, but they had such a stack of these rules. So onto the scene comes Jesus, and here's these Pharisees, you know, and everyone was flocking to hear Jesus teach because he was fresh and he was humble and he was really speaking for God, and they're showing up, you know, hey, you were picking grain, that's work. Hey, you were doing this, that's not right. And they were jamming him, not about the scriptures, but about their own external rules. The text goes on to say, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, verse 11. Here he comes, this guy's a piece of work. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed. And again, that phrase there, um, st stood, it literally means having taken his place. Like I'm just standing here right now. But if I had walked up uh, here today by marching up here, like taking your place. And it's important because of the non-religious man in a minute. But this guy went into the temple to pray and he took his place. He walked proudly and confidently to a prominent place near the altar of the church, sure that he belonged there, no humility, and he stood there very confidently. And then, it's really interesting, and he prayed thus, it says, by himself or literally within himself. So it's questionable whether this guy is praying to God or whether he's kind of talking to himself. But um, I'll get to what he actually prayed uh, in just a minute. The point here is this guy's putting himself in a class all by himself because of the way that he keeps the rules that he made up, him and his partners. And so I brought this today. Some people saw me walking in with this yardstick and they thought that I, well, he's, we're going to get, we're going to get. Anybody ever get this when they were little? Yeah. Kathy used to spoon in our house. We went through spoons. I had to get a part-time job to cover all the broken spoons. When I, but I found out she wasn't hitting the kids. She was just hitting the counter to scare them. Apparently it worked. They turned out pretty good. But, but uh, th this is a yardstick. And, um, oh, man, I read an article this morning about a hundred things that millennials don't do that people in my generation did do. It's pretty, pretty disgusting. One of them was that people don't sew anymore. If you saw this in a house years ago, it might have been used for sewing or something, but I brought it to represent measuring. And religious people are always measuring other people. They're watching how they dress, they're watching how they act, they're sizing them up, and they're forming assessments and comparing themselves. I think I might be a little better than you. I know I'm better than you. And they're measuring themselves against other people. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's not okay. Everyone say it's not okay. Not okay. Now, unless you not know what I'm talking about, I made a little list here. Classic external focuses. First one, uh, clothing. 
And uh, it's not wrong. I came up to you tonight. I'm like, hey, that's a cool sweatshirt. And what's that? That's not a problem. This would be like, why are you wearing a sweatshirt? Well, I'm not actually blowing anybody away with my dress either. But, but have you ever been in a situation where you've, how many people in a situation where you felt like you weren't properly dressed? In fact, come on, hold your hand up. Felt like you were being judged by the other people because you weren't measuring up. Come on, everyone say, it's not cool. Cool. That's not cool. You shouldn't be judging externals like that, the kind of clothes. The, how many people have ever known someone who wore the latest something in shoes and just thought they were all that because of their shoes? Yeah. Or thought they were all that because of their purse? Or thought that they were all that because of their, I don't know, their car? Or they thought they were, it's, I've often said this, it's not wrong to have things, but it's wrong when things have you. Amen. And when you think that you're more than others because of what you have. That's religion, y'all. God hates religion. Religion causes people to believe that they don't need Jesus Christ. We should hate religion. Jesus did. God the Father hates religion. Classic external focus, number one, clothing. Here's another one. Um, physical appearance. Your height. How many men labor under a small stature or your weight because you have had trouble in that area and people look at you and make you feel less some of you who have that metabolism where you could eat a whole pie and you'd be awesome tomorrow you feel no pain here you don't even know what I'm talking about <laughs> but but um, I don't want to judge you by that either if we really could admit to ourselves how quick we are to judge people by external things, clothing, physical appearance, um, their, their deportment, I guess you could call it, or, or really uh, here I'm thinking of you know their style, um, how they handle themselves, how they walk and talk. Here's a big one, their language. Religious people are famous for, when I was in high school, in I think 11th grade, I thought it would be the miracle to end all miracles if I could go through a whole day without cussing. Then I was a pastor for many, many, many years, and I never really had a problem with that in any way at all. And because of the person that I married and her family, and because of some wonderful people I got to know, I gradually came to really de-emphasize that as a marker. And I'm not saying that cussing or whatever is to be celebrated. I'm just simply saying that people are at a different place as they come along. And, and that's not something that we need to be judging people about. And I've learned that as people grow and mature and develop, those issues become smaller issues all on their own, and we don't need to be pounding somebody about that as though that's the biggest deal in the world. So I'm always happy when a little cussing comes out in the testimonies, and so far, uh, Bobby spared us, but uh, Chuck, interestingly, our chaplain, cussed a few times last week, and uh, I think Bryce gave us one good solid cuss tonight. And, uh, but listen, listen, Jesus didn't rise from the dead so that you'd say crap instead of shit. Okay, Amen. it has to be about more than that. And I'm not advocating for looser language. Everyone say he's not. he's not. I'm advocating for not judging each other by where we are on that journey. You're not gonna find that judgment here. It's nothing that we're called to emphasize. So clothing, physical appearance, deportment, 
Um, here's another one. Conformity to the group. Is that what we have? What did I put? Oh, yeah, I changed it. Uh, race, judging people by their race. And we have a certain amount of racial diversity, uh, African-American, Hispanic, and, and, and so on. Um, uh, Italian, my gosh, Italian. And, and, I mean, Italians bring a certain something to the table. Last night I was at, uh, um, we were out for dinner, um, and we were at an Italian restaurant. I'm not going to ever say anything bad about Italians, but I'm actually not going to say anything bad about any race. One of the great evils in our world is prejudice. Prejudice is unfounded, overgeneralized, stereotyped thinking formed without a solid assessment of the facts. That's right. And if you met a white guy who was a jerk or a Hispanic guy who cheated you in business, then that's unfortunate. But that doesn't tell you anything about the next person that you meet in that race. And we've got to believe that, and we've got to work toward that and try to live like that. But religious people, I mean, you've heard it before, that Sunday morning at 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in America. Because <laughs> everyone of different races goes to different places. Now, our son has started a church in Palatine called Good News in the Neighborhood, our oldest son, Luke. And, um, I mean, he's crushing it over there because his big focus is on racial diversity. And they've got it big time because they made it a focus because they know that the Bible says that someday before the throne of God in eternity, uh, people will be there worshiping from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Amen. So you might as well learn to be colorblind and racially blind now because heaven is, That's right? right? And get over the biases that your dad gave you and get over the biases that television gave you and get over the biases that your own experience gave you. If you hate anyone by what you see before you know them, that is religion. That is not true Christianity, a true relationship with Christ. And here's the last one then, um, social status, okay? I went to this high school, I went to this university, these are my parents, this is what my dad did. Now, it's not wrong to be proud of your family, if there's something to be proud of, but no one should be thinking that they know who you are because they know your dad. And nobody should think they, that they should be thinking that they know what kind of man you are because they know what someone in your family did. And one of the things we really work at here is we just work at not having prejudgments and pre... I mean, if, 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 if the men coming here want anything, they want a fresh start. Amen. If the people who will hear this message ultimately need anything, they just need someone to put them on a new page. You know, Christians are famous for saying that God's grace covers it all, but we sure aren't sharing it. Right? And yet the book of James says that we all fall in many ways. Guess what? You're in that group. And so am I. I, I should have no illusions about the people that I'm looking at, and you should have no illusions about me. No perfect, no perfect people here, or any say, or anywhere. But what a wonderful and refreshing thing to be in a place where people know and admit that. And uh, so I'm free from religion when, five things, I refuse to bind others with man-made rules. I reject externals as a spiritual yardstick. So we're going to be done with this, okay? Just don't do this anymore. Just don't do this anymore. God help us to stop measuring by what we see. When you've seen a person, you know nothing about them. Then this. I review my walk, my journey, 
for form without function. This is also amazing. I'm back to verse 12 now, and we're almost at the end. This is going to come quick now, so stick with me. Thank you for your attentiveness. So this guy's up there praying, and just think about this prayer. Here's how it begins. If you ever get up here and pray sometime, which could easily happen, don't say this. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. <laughs> I mean, how whack is that? He's congratulating God on how excellent he is. Thank you, God, that I am not like other men. Now, as if God was lacking for detail, he goes on to say, can I give you a couple of examples? And he does. This is his prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners. That just means thieves, bribery, and so on. Unjust, maybe more of a general term for wickedness. Adulterer, self-explanatory. Or even like this tax collector. <laughs> he looks over this one guy, gets that ruler going. Or, thanks God that I'm not like these people and these people and these people. Or that guy. <laughs> now, if you could just let it into your heart forever, then anytime you compare yourself to somebody else with a superior tone, God moves to their team. Okay, There's, you can't forfeit God's favor faster than to place yourself above another person that God loves. We're not better than the people that hurt us. We're not better than the people who hold out on us. We're not better than the people who are hard-hearted. We're, we're, we're not better than anyone. That was one of the things I used to say at the church. This is one of the things that got me to the door. You're not better than anyone, I used to pray. You're not better than the guy across the street. You're not better than the gay guy in the cubicle next to you at work. You're not better than the trans person struggling with this. You're not better with the guy over here figuring out a way to embezzle more money from the bank. You're not better than anyone. And for the removal of doubt, a legal term, for the removal of doubt, in each of those phrases, I had myself in mind. I'm with all of you, okay? So we're not. We're not better than anyone. Amen. What we need to do is we need to review our own walk for form without function. This guy, here's his walk. Here's his braggery points to God. He said, I fast twice a week. Now, the Old Testament law required fasting once a year on the Day of Atonement. The Pharisees raised it to once a week. So this guy's like, I'm even kicking my religious brother's butts. I'm fasting twice a week. Like, how awesome am I? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. See, again, the scripture uh, provided tithing off of your income. The first 10% belongs to God. I can say that because we don't, I mean, I would say it anyway, but we don't take up any offerings here. Nobody's trying to get your money, not here. But I do believe that 10% of all that we get belongs to God. Yeah. And I've always taught that if you've got God's money at your house, that's probably why you're struggling financially. Okay, that's what I believe. You can't outgive God. But this guy, it wasn't enough that he tithed on his, imagine this, Bobby, you tithe on your income. Then you tithe on, you own a motorcycle? Great, we'll take 10% of that every year. Do you own a house? Good, we'll take 10% of that every year. Uh, any 403B, take 10% of it out every year. Give it. A, I mean, he, he said, I give a tithe of all that I possess. I mean, that was way, way, way more than God was even asking. But of course, God says that he'd rather we didn't give than that we give pridefully and not cheerfully. 
So he says, all these things that he did and all of these things were ways for having a form but not a function. Now, I'd like to make this practical as we head toward the end and I'm gonna give you, I want, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look at every discipline, every practice that you're doing in your life and I want you to review it. That's good, right? And I want you to say, am I doing the form or am I doing the function? Do you know the difference? The form is, you know, I'm in the right place, but the function is, is I'm really entering in. There's a lot of guys in our houses. We've come to see that we just had the form of sobriety, but they didn't have the function of it. They hadn't really yielded their heart over to it. How many people have learned you can put yourself in a good place geographically, but if this doesn't change inside, nothing's changed, right? Am I right? Come on, say amen then. All right, so I'm going to give you some examples here. And here's the first one. Do we put them up or no? Going to meetings, but how many meetings are you guys supposed to go to a week? Five meetings. But what if you only went to, what if you went to five, but in three of them, you were sitting in the back on your phone the whole time? What if you uh, came to this, but you kind of resent the spiritual part of it, so you sat there kind of cheesed the whole time, and you weren't really into it, or trying to get something out of it? That'd be a form without a function, form without a function. And if you want to get from religion to true Christianity, which is relationship, you want to review everything in your walk, everything in your journey, and knock down the stuff where I'm doing the right thing, but I'm not doing it in the right way or for the right reasons or totally entering in. You know what I'm saying? You can stay in this house for six years, but if you don't enter into what's happening and glean the most whenever you can, you're not going to get the benefit. Am I telling the truth? All right, here's another one. Classic forms without function. Avoiding addiction. So I haven't had a drink in. Let's just take a survey. Haven't had a drink in or drug or of choice in how long? Eight months. Eight months. Good for you. Three, Three months? Seven. Seven. Chuck? Since 2005. 2005. Almost three months. Almost three months? Almost three 33 years. years. 33 years. Good for you. That's a round of applause right there. Yeah. Now listen. Listen. Since 2005, 33 years, Bobby? Since since 2012 and one year. one year good for you 14 made eight months 14 made eight months that's awesome john and anybody else want to give their number six months, six months kyle one year, four one year four months anyone else want to give their number uh-huh ten years. ten years god bless good for you 37 days 37 days come on let's give a hand for that and bryce you said yeah. six months necessary. Listen, we're going to do that regularly in this room. We're going to go over that point regularly because nobody's assuming that the next week is going to be as easy for you as the last week was. And, but, but I want us, I want us to say by simply placing ourselves in an act like men house, I have the form, but what if I don't have the function? What if I'm like a dry alcoholic and I'm still doing the same behaviors and I'm still doing other addictive things like looking at porn or, or, or overspending money that I don't have, trying to get a, a, you know, a little jack up that way. Or there's lots of things that we do to try to fill that void. And if I'm just changing behaviors, but I'm still living like an addict, I got to have, I got to have, and I changed the have. Because I'm around here, and here they come with another drug test. So, 
I'm not going to get busted for that, but I'm still, you know what I'm saying. I won't go on, forgive me if I sound insensitive. I'm just so much on my heart to help you. And so we all know the struggle of having the form, but not the function. Here's the third one. Okay. You're making money now, but you're still not wise with your money. You make money like a sober person, but you spend it like an addict. Okay. And we all know that can be a problem, right? And, and, and so wise, we're talking now about how to get some financial training. And maybe in the fall, a little further along, uh, we'll start having a financial class that's one of your five options for the week where we lay out how to have a budget and how to control your spending and how to invest wisely for the future. But I'll tell you right now, the number one thing for financial success is, and I mean, Kathy and I started with nothing. We started a church, we did it on a pencil, and we had a lot of years where I had to walk to work because Kathy had the car. I mean, I, I know about all that. And I've, we've lived this. You can't outgive God would be the number one thing I would say. So, in, or here's another way to say it. 90% with you and God is more than 100% with you on your own. That's right. And if you're leaving God out of that, then that's what you are. You're on your own. Because, okay, try it. See how it goes. It's not going good. If the money seems to always be slipping through your fingers and never accumulating, it's because you don't have God first. And then the second thing, and, and, and I'm not judging you. I'm just trying to say that's something we have to all learn. And then the second thing is, is you have to, this is such a simple sentence. You have to always spend less than you make. It's not what you can afford. It's what you can afford after you're setting aside some money. And so you could be making money, but you can still be thinking that money makes me important. You can still be thinking that money makes me happy. You can still be thinking that money is mine to do with whatever I want. You can have some, so you can have the form, got a job, awesome. But you don't have the function of managing that responsibly. Here's another example. So this is another big concern I have. You're not with the bad friends anymore. You reference that. You're not with the bad friends right now, but are you letting the good friends in proximity to you into your life? Some are, but simply living far away from the people that used to drag me down or um, deleting all the contacts that used to drag me down or blocking the numbers of the people that would still drag me down, do it, do it, do it. But I, I, now I'm in isolation. I'm just in isolation. I'm not really opening my life up to other people and letting them into love and care for me. Come on, someone say we all need that. We all need that. Okay, and then here's the last one. But, what would you put in that slot? Something in your life. Take some time and review your journey, your walk, for ways that you have the form, but you don't have the function. Because having the form and not the function. That's religion. And the Bible says these people have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. And so we want something better for you than that. And here's, here's, this is a really negative message. Ready for the good news? Okay, so now we're going to go to the good guy. Not the guy that Jesus was like, what is up with that guy? Didn't like his prayer, didn't like his attitude, didn't like his posture, didn't, everything about that guy was pride. But now watch this guy. But the tax collector, notice, standing far off, 
just the opposite of the other guy. Tax collectors, by the way, in Jesus' day were like the most hated people. Like they're like the IRS on steroids. They <laughs> they 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 purchased from the Roman government the right to tax their own people. Okay, just imagine somebody showing up on your street who lives on your street who bought from the state of Illinois the right to tax you. And they're allowed to do whatever they want to get the state's money, and whatever else they can get from you, they can keep. That's what was going on. And so these people were so hated, and that's why Jesus used him as an example of somebody that actually was pretty awesome, because watch what he does. This wasn't one of the bad ones. But the tax collector standing far off, what does that say that he just kind of slipped into the back of the church and kind of bowed his head? What does that say? Right, he felt unworthy. Good for you, brother. Thanks for saying that. He felt unworthy. Did you ever feel unworthy? Yeah. Okay, fine. We've all come on. Have you felt unworthy? Yes. Yeah. But did anyone ever tell you that those feelings of unworthiness warm God's heart to you? God likes the fact that some of the pride's been knocked out of us, and humility has taken it pla its place. So. I called this part, I return to the basics of examination and confession. These are just basic Christian things, looking at myself, examination, confessing my sins to God. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He's looking, where's he looking? He's looking down. And he beat his breast like this. This to the Jewish people was a sign of sorrow. It's not in our culture, but you'll see it on TV. When you watch Middle Eastern cultures and some terrific bomb or some terrible things goes off and you'll see the people going like this, they still do it to this day. We've been to Israel many times. And uh, so this guy is just in the back door of the church, looking down, feeling his own shame, beating upon his breast. And here's his simple prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Amen. It's so simple. It's so humble. If you're one of those people who says, I don't really know what to pray, get on your, close the door, get on your knees, and say, God, whoever you are, as I understand you, please be merciful to me. Amen. Mercy is where we don't get what we deserve. And if you feel like, man, I might have some big consequences coming my way for some of the choices that I make. Okay. Well, pray and ask God to be merciful to you. And I believe, well, we know that he heard the prayer because he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to a sinner. Now Jesus gives his interpretation. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, which means to be saved, to be declared righteous, rather than the other. The Pharisee, not good. The tax collector, awesome. Here it is, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. That's, that's quite a promise in God's word. You know, people are always talking about the promises in God's word. Have you ever heard someone say, that's my favorite? My favorite promise in the whole Bible is that if, it, if you exalt yourself, you get humbled. No one ever says that. Like said, no one ever. But it's a promise. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And the last point there was I, re I, review, I, re I renew my pursuit of personal humility. You know, I preached for many years that when God is trying to 
change your life. Get as low as you can, as fast as you can, and stay there. And that's why, you know, I used to preach to thousands and thousands and thousands of people every week. And I have never said this, but the greatest joy of my life and every week is getting here to talk to a small group of people in a room. Do you know why? Because just like what Bryce said, having to admit things, it's really humbling. And humbling is good. Humbling is good. We will someday thank God for the things that brought us to our true condition. The feeling of being elevated, the feeling of being important, the feeling of being prideful, the feeling of being strong enough to handle anything. These things are not good. And if God in his kindness has allowed you to be humbled, you're here for a reason. And I want to just now review. Down with religion, up with sincere faith by not binding others with man-made rules, by rejecting externals as a spiritual yardstick, by reviewing my own journey for form without function, by returning to the basics of examination and confession, and renewing my pursuit of personal humility. So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's Word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. All the ministry information, Bible teaching, and and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.